0: God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you must be so excited. Listen now.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at MoonPig.com.
2: MoonPig.com.
1: Quality sleep is essential.
2: That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together.
3: Science. The Final Frontier. Sorry, that should read The Fin and Frontier. It's one of those experiments where they graft things onto a rat and then run a study on how many nightmares they can give you. This is The Gargle, Special Collector's Edition Science Special. We plumb the depths of human knowledge and then scratch our bottoms and tell you how expensive new pipes are going to be the sonic glossy magazine to the bugles audio newspaper for visual world we answer the question what if satire minus politics or how long can alice get away with not paying attention to sweaty ministers dodgy policy decisions without losing what is loosely called her job welcome to the gargle i'm your host alice fraser and your guest editors this week are james Colley and tom neenan welcome to the show
0: thank you for having me
4: thank you so much for having me i am a scientist i wear shirts and i wear glasses
0: I am a scientist, which is how I justify the amount of beakers and other glassware I have taken from the lab.
3: (laughs) Well, let's plunge into this week's magazine. The front cover this week is a sexy cell division mitosising in an anatomically improbable way that makes you suspect this is just an artist's rendering of something that's probably a lot messier and less aesthetic on a cellular level. The satirical cartoon this week is Ivermectin and let's go on into section one section one of the magazine what is science what is science Uh, we ask our guests today to give us their idea of what science is james collie is science a fact or more of a concept
0: Well, science is a lot of things Uh, Firstly, it's the easiest way to justify Dropping an apple on the head of a nerd It covers many (laughs) facets From anthropology, or as it should be known Mansplaining, to uh, zoology Which, as I understand, is the study of U2's 1993 album Zooropa To find out what went wrong after Achtung Baby (laughs) Carl Sagan posited that Science was the universe's way of understanding Itself, but if anything, the science Has now become the universe's way of being overly Fascinated with itself until it's too introspective and weird and utterly incapable of sustaining good chat at a party but at its core science to me is like pornography to the United States Supreme Court I can't define it but I know it when I see it which is because it's all about experimentation and observation so that
4: makes
3: sense (laughs) (laughs) and Tom Neenan what is science to you Science is a noun, and
4: I believe it is a fetish or kink, otherwise known as uh, fact voyeurism. What happens is that uh, scientists will see a, a perceived piece of wisdom, such as the sun goes around the earth, but that's not enough for them. They want more. So what they do is they, they take that fact, and they, they go deeper and deeper, and they, they spot that fact is wrong. It's so, so wrong. And eventually they get to a conclusion <laughs> that it's uh, actually the, the sun that goes around the earth. And, and at that point uh, they, are, they are satisfied, they reach their climax and anyone who, anyone who doesn't believe in science or is a science denier is also kink shaming so um, they should feel very ashamed of themselves
0: Not to mention fact shaming Exactly <laughs> <Fact-shaming>.
3: <laughs> Well as Nicki Minaj says sometimes you just have to listen to your heart before you listen to the science because your heart will tell you what science is <laughs> and is isn't your ads now because cumulative desire adds up to wanting more. This summer, everyone is a suspect and everyone has something to hide. The brand new series, I'm Calling a Meeting About Hygiene Issues in This Sharehouse, is out now on streaming services. And let's all thank Daniela, the only one here with a real enough job to be paying for all of our Netflix.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card.
3: Now it's time for section two, flipping some pages into science of the future. Now, as somebody who is always interested in the future, but specifically the ideas of the past about the future, which mainly seem to involve footwear, I would like to ask my guest editors to explain their favourite future idea based on now inventions. Tom Neenan.
4: So I have become obsessed with uh, self-driving cars. They're the future. We all know it. I find them fascinating. I find the logistics of them fascinating. One thing that I was doing research on is basically the idea that a self-driving car will have to, at some point, make a million micro decisions about what should happen, say, in the event of an accident. And that led me to uh, write a speculative article uh, that might come out at some point in the future. So here goes. The the headline (laughs) is, so science of the future. Comedian is the most expendable profession, according to car manufacturers. Uh, Self-driving car manufacturers who have decided in the course of designing their AIs that comedian is the profession most preferable to come off worse in a car crash. The driving AIs were designed to calculate in the event of a car crash, which driver is most worthy of life and should be saved. Topping the list was nurse, doctor and carer. And bottom of the list were comedian, beatboxer and travel agent. (laughs) The AI designated that in the head-on collision between a carer and a comedian, the AI of both cars would contrive to save the carer, leaving the comedian to certain death. According to research, the median job of importance is greengrocer. In the event of a collision between two greengrocers, (laughs) the AI would take into account how many hours a day they spend on Twitter and which one of them was the most drunk. So... I'm pretty sure at some point we will have to all be ranked by our importance to see which profession and which person should, should be saved in those situations. So so I look forward to finding out where we all, we all sit in the in the pecking order anyway.
3: Well, I feel like all cars are self-driving cars if you start them up when you're facing downhill.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's a comforting way of looking at it. And it, it's, pretty, it's
0: pretty dangerous for comedians anyway, because famously in our profession, a funny thing happens on the way to the gig.
3: <laughs> I don't want to take issue with your science fact uh, journalism <laughs> Tom Neenam but I feel like nobody's going to buy a car that's going to let them come out of the at the bottom of the heap in a car accident even if they know that they are morally worthless <laughs> so what we can end up with is increasingly aggressive cars protecting the interests of their drivers and Mad Max <gasps> etc. Yes
0: well also like if I was Hyundai let's say mm-hmm. if I'm ranking people by their importance Hyundai purchases come very high on that list of people it is in fact my favourite <laughs> characteristic of all of yes. them. Yes
4: what we're saying is basically it's going to become like lawyers and just the, the richer people are going to be able to get the more persuasive AIs that go into negotiations with other cars. And yeah, I mean it won't, won't be dissimilar to what we have at the minute, which is just the aggressive drivers usually come out better.
3: Well, both cars will determine that there's about to be an accident and then they'll hold a swift trial, a kangaroo yep. court, arguing <laughs> each for their own client. And then at the end, they'll both start up the cars and murder one of you. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: this will happen within a split second as well which will be uh, fascinating to watch
0: i do think there is very interesting science happening in the world of driverless cars because we can see this happening in real time we're testing how far weirdos will go to still defend tesla it can be falling <laughs> apart in their hands as they're driving and they're like yeah but it falls apart so much cleaner than an old gas
1: <laughs>
3: I mean, the great thing about putting software iterative uh, ideas of, of technological advancement onto hardware iteration is that uh, fail fast is not good when it's happening on the road.
4: Yeah. <laughs> fail fast <laughs> is the, my approach to my driving test. And that is why I, um, I don't drive. So that, I think that's best <laughs> for everyone.
3: And James Colley, what is your piece of f- future technology science that you have brought in to show us?
4: Well,
0: I've always been fascinated with genetic modification ever since I saw a documentary about four fantastic people, one of whom was named Mr. Fantastic. (laughs) I'm just fascinated about what this technology can do. And I thought GMO foods was always a very interesting area for me. I thought like that often you can save more lives than the people, like more lives than are lost in wars through feeding the population that we have. It's one of the coming crises. And there was a recent research after years of speculation that GMO food is safe to eat. And that was great for me. But understanding this world, I think we're going to finally master genetically modifying foods in the future to be very, very large. But I don't think we're going to use this to feed the world. I think we'll simply bolster Australia's big things tourist destinations.
2: (laughs) So now the, the
0: big banana is an actually very big banana and you need to see it quick because it's the, was the green big banana, now it's the yellow big banana, and it's going bad, so it's either going to be the big banana bread or just the big congealed mass on the side of a highway, <laughs> which then takes us back into the world of driverless cars. <laughs> the, the,
3: the thing about the big banana, and if you have not seen the big banana, this will be irrelevant comedy to you. The thing about the big banana is everyone I've ever met who's seen the big banana, including myself in the mirror, has said, it's not that big. Like, it's, it's still <laughs> very big, but it's not that big
0: it's bigger than your average banana i grant you this but on the scale of things being big it is no geezer
3: it's, it's about the size of a minibus you know may i ask um, what what
4: is the big banana <laughs> what, having never seen it is 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 it what, what is it
3: and it's that kind of spirit of inquiry that brought you onto the science episode Tommy. exactly <laughs> <laughs> i'm
4: inquiring mine please Tom,
0: what you need to know is a large amount of Australia's regional economy is based on building a large thing and putting it near the road and other people going around to see that large thing. So we have the big banana, the big prawn, the big apple. There's also the big boxing crocodile, the big... James like uh, Captain James Cook who is doing a Hitler salute for some reason oh, there's also about six more of those <laughs> these are all around Australia and it is very much the lifeblood of the regional economy if if industry has left if climate change has destroyed every agricultural option you have you build a big thing and you hope <laughs> people show up and I know this because I'm the person who shows up I traveled an hour and a half out of my way to look at the big rolling pin of Wodonga and you know what it looks like it looks like a ro- rolling pin, Tom. It looks like a f***ing rolling pin.
3: My big issue, and let's say disproportionately big issue with the big things economy, is that they're mm. not proportionate to one another. So, for example, the big prawn is bigger than the big banana. Oh, um, that's confusing. But, and, and sort of, of comparative <laughs> size the big merino, which is a, a sheep, and I feel upset by that in a, a deep and personal way. It could be even more disappointing. If, you,
4: if someone made, like, the big ant, and you went there, and it's like that's basically the size of like a, a, a I don't know a banknote, and you're like it's big for an ant, but like it's not worth travelling for. I'm looking at the big banana now. Sure, it's uh it's, it's over it's forty years old. You
3: can't it's big. deny that it's big. Yeah, it's not that big.
4: Tom, just checking. You do
0: know that the big ant is one of the big things, and it's in Broken Hill, what? in Australia.
3: Hang on, I'm
4: going to look at the big ant now. Sorry, this is t- I'm discovering. This is my science special. You're just
3: building Google breaks into this podcast now. Yes,
4: exactly. And it's up a stick, and it's the big ant. It's not okay. That is good. I would travel to that, not quite to Australia, but like from here. I love this economy. I kind of want to get in on it. What, what hasn't been done?
0: Now, that is a much harder that question to answer. That is a much harder question.
4: The big cow? Is there a big cow?
0: How dare you? How <laughs> dare you assume we hadn't gotten to cow?
4: <laughs> i have to think of something quintessentially British then. Uh, like... um I'll do a big cup of tea or something, and and import that, and that'll be. I'll charge people to like sit in it, like it's a big big hot tub or something.
0: See, now we're talking.
4: Yeah. (laughs)
3: All right. I feel like we've lost we've lost the train of our of our thought. We need to get back to the the scientific thread of inquiry, because otherwise we'll lose our funding. Mm. This is the end of our section about the future of science, and now we're going to talk about our reviews. Our reviews section now every week. We ask our guests to bring in something to review out of five stars. James Collie, what have you brought in to review?
0: I'm reviewing the Southern Cross, which is five stars, but will not be getting five stars. <laughs> the Southern Cross, despite being between 88 and 364 light years away, depending on your star, is uniquely Australian, and that is because it appears on the Australian flag and to a lesser extent the New Zealand flag, the Samoan flag, the Brazilian flag, and the Papua New Guinean flag. Uh, it also appears on the calf, back, and occasionally neck of racists, and that is exclusively Australian, because <laughs> only Australia could take a 10 billion-year-old celestial object and and make it the symbol of people who've been here for 200 years telling people who've been here for 80,000 years to piss off back on (laughs) it. The Southern Cross. Five stars that I'm giving one star.
3: (laughs) The problem with our our current uh, national flag, it's got a big old Union Jack in the the corner, and and we should change it, but you know as a science fact that if they change it, it'll be like, with a kangaroo on or something really <laughs> cringe so we're just gonna stick with what we have
0: i do always like that jerry seinfeld once described the australian flag
4: as the british flag at night <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's very good uh tom Neenan, what have you brought in to review
4: so i want to review a section a branch of science if i if i may um you i'd may. like to review a f- uh, not very uh, um sort of regarded area of science but forestry now I understand forestry, which is obviously um, the the science and cultivation, the science of cultivating and maintaining forests. Uh, forests are very important to the world. Uh, the Amazon is the lungs of the earth, and I don't know. I, I think Britain might be the. The right ear, I think, but the right <laughs> ear that, like, you, it, there's still some water in it from swimming, and, like, we can't quite hear the rest of the world. Uh, what I'd like to know, basically, about forestry is I wonder at any point during forestry if there comes a point where they're so consumed by, like, the, the minor details of forestry that they kind of lose sight of the, the broader aims of forestry. And if at that stage anyone has the gall to say, guys, I think we can't see the wood for the trees here. And if that person either then by default becomes the chief forester or whether they are instantly demoted, as well they should be. Forestry, for no reason, three stars.
0: May I say, I'm not so sure Britain and England is the right ear of Mm. the world. I I think it might be more of the appendix because it was very useful a while ago, but also the things that came in place to make that happen are probably going to blow up and kill us all.
4: Yeah, (laughs) at some point an appendix its only job is to be so painful you realize it's still there and you uh, request it be removed and that is that is basically our modus operandi at the minute
3: well that's all the time we have for our reviews section because now it's time for our science fails in our special science edition fire up your bunsen burners and let's set some shit on fire this is the science fails section james collie what has failed in science
0: Well, this is one of my favourite science stories that I want to regale you for. Is it apocryphal? Don't know. Maybe we should investigate (laughs) that science. Uh, This is is from the early days of electricity where in a house in New Jersey, Thomas Edison was putting on a display where he was lighting a house overnight for the first time to show that electricity could light a house and one day ruin the lives of everyone who was trying to work just nine to five because the sun's going down. (laughs) So... Thomas Edison sets up this large motor outside of this house and channels the light. in. it's an amazing display. Imagine this. The first house lit up by electricity. Finally, you can stop gaslighting people and make that a term that is just about abuse and not a (laughs) physical light. But there is a problem. It's very, very loud to build a a motor of this size to power a house at the time. So, after getting complaints from the town surrounding, Thomas Edison goes back, and he builds a double-enclosed brick wall around this motor. And then, the next night, he gets more complaints. Apparently, it's louder. Now, everything I know about science says that cannot be. So, he travels up there and says, okay, let's observe what is going on. How is this possibly louder? And it is because... By making this double-bricked wall with a motor inside that was heating up across the night, he created the perfect cat attraction for every cat for four <laughs> suburbs over and inadvertently spawned the greatest cat orgy <laughs> the world has ever known. And that is Thomas Edison's true legacy, other than the fact that he took the first cat video to share, which is also an interesting thing. Very early video technology. He took the first cat video, he pretended to make it look like it was boxing.
3: <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, wait, back up. The very first cat video, and he still thought he had to have a gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not impressive enough that you've videoed a cat. It has to be a novelty cat. Imagine people who had not seen a cat having first access to this document documentary footage and thinking that that was what cats did
0: (laughs) you've seen that video and you've seen a couple of hieroglyphs and your idea of cats is way out
3: (laughs) this is the problem this is the problem with so much of science is that our progress is limited by our tools and data and what we can measure isn't necessarily what is important Uh, i mean how cute was the cat
4: (laughs) as australians you should be offended because science has proved that the the only animal most adept at boxing is the kangaroo so the idea that any other animal should should try and compete is just ludicrous and
3: boxing isn't even their dominant weapon they'd much rather gut you with their feet
4: yeah (laughs) it's true I haven't seen it happen but I've I've
0: heard I've heard tell Truly one of the most fun things you can ever see in your life is a video of a man parachuting to the ground in Australia as a kangaroo races towards him to start a fight <laughs> because he realizes from about 10 meters down oh no this is happening and he's just more kind of annoyed at the whole situation than really worried about it <laughs>
4: god bless you you're living on a, on a on a continent that does not want you there and it is every piece of nature is telling you that but well done you're sticking at it and i respect that
3: Ground and find out the australia story yeah
4: i mean to be fair it was your idea <laughs> guilty as charged
3: yeah we're not taking the blame we're just taking the holidays <laughs> Tom Neenan, what science fail have you brought in for us today?
4: I am going to bring in for you uh, the epic, the epic fail that marked the turn of a millennium. It's the millennium bug. Now, I don't know how much people over in Australia, you put much sort of faith in the fact that the millennium bug would be an incredible thing, which would basically make... Planes fall from the sky, and numerous other things fail. The logic behind it being, if I'm right, because I was just at the right age to be truly terrified of the millennium bug. I was I was there on on New Year's mm. Eve, like fully expecting um, that everything to do, to stop. Basically, the idea was that because computers don't understand what a two is, <laughs> that they would hit 1999 December the 31st, and then rather than going to 2000, they would go back to 1900 think that they hadn't been invented yet and stopped working (laughs) and this had every scientist terrified so they were fully prepared for everything to fail we had a show presented by a presenter called philippa forrester who spent her millennium eve in a studio basically in this like uh this bunker uh ready for everything to kick off and basically that they set aside about three four hours of this and it was a, a woman sitting in a room going nothing yet But we're still we're still waiting. We're still waiting. And so that was it. I feel like every other piece of science fact, be it global warming, be it numerous other things, there are all these warning signs that everyone just ignores. With the Millennium Bug, from what I understand, there were no warning signs. It was just something that people assumed would have this this cataclysmic effect on the world and just never arrived. Counter to this. Uh, Because I work on a topical show in the UK, what happens is we always take big assumptions like the Millennium Bug didn't happen. Then we dig into it and we find some very, very depressing facts. So we did that with this. I'm not going to share them with you. It's pretty bleak. The Millennium Bug did affect certain small things, but overall, that are quite depressing. But overall, no planes fell from the sky. Most computers were able to comprehend the idea that after 1999 comes 2000 because they're computers. And life carried on as normal. And I think we can all agree that 2000 and 2001 didn't see any events which sort of basically uh, shattered the the fundamentals of western civilization <laughs> prove me wrong
0: i very much love the idea of broadcasting from the end of civilization like the, okay we've hit over and well you probably will have noticed your television exploded
4: yeah exactly <laughs> Like you'd need someone to tell you if, if everything was collapsing.
2: <laughs> oh,
3: well, thank you so much. That was our science fails section. Now we have our pullout section. How do you do your own research in a stylish way? Tip one, take a statistics class. Do this in loose slacks in natural neutrals for the best bang for your buck. Tip number three, do a literature review to have a sense of the priorities of the field the driving interest-invested funding bodies, understand the tools and metrics available and what that means for the variability and validity of the data. Do that in lurex and lycra in cheeky neons. Tip two, do things in the right order. (laughs) Tip four, read the Wikipedia article on the Dunning-Kruger effect. For this, you want lush damasks in jewel tones. Tip five, read something made of paper just to prove you can... For that, you want post-petrol punk stylings with an, ideally a mohawk or at the very least a hawk, but commit to the hair gel. And tip six, report the original YouTube video for misinformation. Do that in wool, wooden clogs, and full 19th century Dutch peasant cosplay. (laughs) Have you got any tips on how to do your own research, lads?
0: I'm currently working on a show about conspiracies that Alice was also a part of. Or
3: was I, yes.
0: One of my favourite parts I have um, noticed about doing your own research is... Now, YouTube is making it very hard to do your own research now, because now, when you watch a conspiracy video... They include a paragraph from Wikipedia underneath that doesn't necessarily say it's not true, but will have the first paragraph from Wikipedia. And if you have believe the whole world is lying to you and what you see with your very eyes on the horizon of the earth is not true, you know what will win you over? A paragraph of Wikipedia text <laughs> just stuck between the video and the comments. <laughs>
3: Uh, yes, de-radicalization is a long process that involves a lot of like hard work and hand-holding and nurturing and caring, or a paragraph from Wikipedia. My favorite conspiracy theory is uh, the New World Order, which I was talking about last night, which is the idea that there's a secret cabal of rich people running the world. Uh, ignoring Mm. the fact that there is a not-secret cabal of rich people who are not even (laughs) pretending that they're not running the world. Mm -hmm. They're just running the world in a sort of a reactive, incompetent, capitalistic way that makes you wish for lizards with spreadsheets.
0: (laughs) We were, while researching the New World Order, one of the very interesting things about them is that they believe the secret city of the New World Order is underneath Denver Airport. And the reason for this is Denver Airport took a very long time to come together and was way over budget. The reason for that in the real world, and not in the new world is because some very rich people with some very bad ideas tried to build an entirely automated baggage system that even now when they activate it just kind of randomly throws your bag against the wall or sets it on fire. So it's about the same system we have now. And I I like it because I like to think that is the new world order and they're just as
4: incompetent as we are.
3: (laughs) Tom, do you have anything on uh, do your own research? What's your favorite do your own research tip?
4: Great tip from me is simply decide on your conclusion before you begin the research and sort of cherry pick data which supports your preordained thesis. I've been doing that, and so far the results are excellent.
3: (laughs) (laughs) They would be, wouldn't they? Yep. Speaking of excellent results, now it's time for our conspiracy theory section. Pick a story and tell us what you love about it. Uh, Tom Neenan, what's your favourite conspiracy theory and why? And why isn't it true? And tell us about the science and convince us.
4: <laughs> of course. Right, so mine isn't sort of your general conspiracy theory. This is, this is a, a story which happened in 2017. And it just got me thinking about stuff. So Theresa May was being interviewed when she was on the election trail by a nurse. Uh, she has been questioned by a nurse about nurses' pay in the UK. And uh, Theresa May said this very alarming thing. She said, there's no magic money tree. Okay. And that got me thinking. Right. I was like, that's quite a bold statement. Politicians usually avoid sort of very, you know, stark statements like there is or there isn't. Obviously, there is a money tree. Its uh, Latin name is the uh, Pecura aquatica, I believe. Forgive me if my my, uh, pronunciation is wrong. but It's not magic. Unless you think that just like, you know, plants existing is magic in a kind of general spiritual isn't the world lovely kind of way, which I do. <laughs> also, it was unclear whether she meant that the tree would be magic, that the money would be magic, or that uh, the, tr- the money coming from the tree would be magic. OK, so I then started thinking, what does she mean by that? Because does she mean that what we can't do is, you know, there's nothing, there's no naturally occurring thing on earth which just generates wealth. Privilege. Privilege. <laughs> birthright. <laughs> Is that's one? Was it um, uh, Elon Musk who was bought, Who was the heir to a was it a diamond mine fortune or something? An emerald mine. Yes. So there you go. Immediately. Once
0: you... he gets them all, he'll control the world. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Him and Grimes at his side, that will be... Uh, <laughs> and you know what? They've earned it. I'll let them dominate. Yeah, I'll let them take over. <laughs> so I was then thinking, yeah, you've got these precious jewels. You've got emeralds. You've got gold. The UK obviously stopped using the gold standard in 1931, but nevertheless, it was still a way of determining the value of money until that time. So then I started thinking, well, OK, so what, maybe what she means is that there's nothing in the world that can just sort of magically uh, generate money. But I was like, well, no, you can print more money. That's fine. So then I started thinking, well, obviously, they would, wouldn't want there to be a, a magic money tree because what that would mean is that obviously there would be plenty more money available. But the reason that governments don't print more money is because of inflation. You know, there's the fact that you'd have far too much money to meet the and the value of savings would go down. So then I started thinking <laughs> what she means by that is she means that what we don't have is a magical way of, um, of redistributing the wealth that we currently have, not producing more so, we have, um, so so there is inflation, but redistributing the money which currently exists so that nurses can get paid more. But that doesn't need to be magic, that just needs to be policy. And so that is usually dictated by government, and she is the head of the government. So then I started thinking, what if when she said there is no magic money tree, what she was basically saying is, I don't exist, <laughs> So now I'm starting to think maybe it was a cry for help and that Theresa May, when she said there's no magic money tree, was basically... Oh, I
3: don't understand how policy works. Yeah!
4: (laughs) Now, which is more likely?
0: (laughs) There's always these clues sprinkled around on good conspiracies and there's a reason her name isn't Theresa is. It's Theresa May. Mm.
4: (laughs) I think, therefore, I might
3: be. She may or may not exist. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, James Colley, what is your favorite conspiracy theory?
0: So professionally, I have been delving deep into conspiracies lately. I found a lot that I love. I do love a flat earth conspiracy. I love a flat earth conspiracy because so many other conspiracies about following breadcrumbs, the flat earth is just looking out the window and going, nah, nup. (laughs) New.
4: <laughs>
0: so, like, there's a lot of absurd conspiracies I enjoy. Uh, that the NSA is listening to us through our phones. Sorry, that one was real. Uh, that Nazi scientists were <laughs> snuck to the US to be used by NASA. No, that one's real. Uh, the CIA put acid in the... Oh, damn it. Uh, okay, you know what? <laughs> Moon conspiracies. I love moon conspiracies, all of them. Like Kubrick directed the moon landing, aliens were spotted on the moon, the whole thing's made of cheese. I love them. But my favorite moon conspiracy is that the first words on the moon were scripted, and every astronaut's first words are on the moon are scripted, which is something that was put to an astronaut uh, who was uh, Apollo 17 commander, who made his first words on the moon, Jack, I'm out here! Oh, my golly, unbelievable.
1: <laughs> Whereas
0: a Pete Conrad, another uh, astronaut who was famously a very short man, had his first words as, whoopee, man, that must have been one small one for Neil, but it's a long one for me, which having a <laughs> gag on your first steps on the moon, A plus, beautiful. <laughs> it brings me to my favorite part of the moon conspiracy, that Neil Armstrong actually said, that's one small step for a man, One giant leap for mankind. You know, a sentence that actually makes sense. That's (laughs) on his side. Uh, The conspiracy was that the world had misheard this line because there was static over on the call. There was a lot of uh, denial from NASA that that's what he actually said, and Neil Armstrong himself said that he had added the word A. The conspiracy was then disproved with vocal analysis a long time later there's no way he flubbed it he admitted it he said he screwed up and I love that I think there is something beautifully human about achieving our greatest goal we've ever achieved and immediately dropping the ball screwing up instantly and then lying about it and saying no I got it right it was probably something of the massive team that means to get me onto the moon they probably messed up the microphone it's not my fault that is a species I'm proud to be part of
3: well my favourite recently heard conspiracy theory was a friend of mine who had convinced himself that the only reason that he was going to take the vaccine was because Israel had such high vaccination rates and the Jews running the world wouldn't have such high vaccination rates if in fact the vaccine was as deadly as his uh, other conspiracy mates believed it would be and uh, normally when someone comes out with a sentence that involves the phrase the Jews Mm. I tend to pull them back a little Um, but with this one I was like i'm gonna let you go with this (laughs) i'll just just leave that one uh let that one go through to the keeper
4: we'll just adjust his personality
0: settings with the microchip anyway
4: (laughs) i personally i just i cannot fathom the idea that stanley kubrick directed the moon landings because the moon landings uh came out on time and um (laughs) he'd have only had one chance to film them so uh so it's ludicrous
3: Well, if you have any favourite science facts, hit us up on Twitter at HelloGarglers, uh, where we will probably talk back to you because we're, we're bored and lonely. <laughs> that is the end of the show. We flipped through the classified section at the end. Tom Neenan, have you got anything to plug?
4: I am at uh, T Neenan on Twitter. I'm currently, um, I don't know uh, how international, I'm sure everyone is listening from all over the world. And if you have access to British television, then I am uh, the lead writer on the Late Night Mash which is currently on Dave or UK TV player, if uh, if you get the chance to uh, to see that.
3: James Colley, have you got anything to plug? Yeah,
0: I'm at Jam Colley on Twitter. If you like science things, at Quantum of Science, which is as I always say, I only plug on Gargle shows, which I always <laughs> enjoy. If your home is girt by sea, let's say, then uh, you can access ABC iView. I'm head writer of the show Question Everything. Or depending on what time you're listening to this, Gruin, a show about advertising. So check those out. Both are on 8:30 p.m. Wednesdays on the ABC. In fact, if you hit 8:30 p.m. Wednesdays on the ABC, you'll find a show I'm working on most weeks of the year. So just st- stay in that demographic.
4: I really like Alice. The fact that you you probably will never have a writer on the show. It's only head writers. That is the that is the rule. <laughs> That's how you get on this. It's
3: only head We have. Standards yes, right here. Exactly. That was our scientific standard for selection. <laughs> the placebo group is assistant head writers. Yeah, <laughs> they're doing another podcast, which we assume won't be as good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you edit out the spit I just did on assistant head writers? I don't want them to know that I think about them. At all. Yeah.
3: <laughs> that's the end of the show my name is alice fraser you can find me online at alliterative on twitter and instagram that's a-l-i-t-e-r-a-t-i-v-e or check me out on patreon.com slash alice fraser for a one-stop shop all of my stand-up specials podcasts blogs and my weekly tea with alice salons i'm currently off on leave but i will be back the executive producer of this show is chris skinner the magnificent editor is ped hunter this is an alice fraser and bugle podcast production talk to you again next week
0: You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions, and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.